Hello and welcome to the Feeling Good Podcast. I am your host, Fabrice Nye, and joining me here in the Murrieta Studios is Dr. David Burns. Hi, David. Hi, Fabrice. Dr. David Burns has been a pioneer in the development of cognitive therapy, and he is the creator of the new team therapy. He is the author of Feeling Good, which has sold over 5 million copies in the United States and has been translated into over 20 languages. He is an emeritus adjunct clinical professor of psychiatry at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Welcome to episode 54 of the Feeling Good podcast. And uh, I'm excited now because we're starting a a podcast series, I mean, an episode series on the interpersonal model. And this will be the the first in this series. But before we start on this, uh, David has uh, some announcements to make. Uh, David, I think you're going to be doing three cities in one week in October, right? Yeah, there's uh, quite a few events coming up that are listed on my workshop page and my website, feelinggood.com, but I'll mention a few of them. One uh, actually is right here in the Bay Area. Uh, I I have this great opportunity to speak at Stanford on October 27th from 8 to 10 a.m. at the uh, Laika Shen Center in room 130, and this is going to be a presentation on feeling good, uh, uh-huh. just kind of high-speed uh, treatment and self-treatment to get over depression and anxiety disorders. It's for health professionals and for the general public. It's free for people in the Stanford community. It's 40 bucks for the general public. I don't get any of that 40 bucks. I'm doing it for free, but mm-hmm. it's, it's not expensive. And you can find the registration information on my website okay. if, if you're interested in coming. And then... Uh, At the end of October and beginning of November, I'm going to do my, uh, and it's all your fault, Transforming Troubled Relationships into Loving Ones workshop for health professionals, mental health professionals in the East Coast. And it'll be uh, three two-day workshops back back to back. The, The first will be October 30 and 31st in Raleigh, North Carolina at the Doubletree uh, Raleigh Brownstone University hotel, and it will also be live-streamed on the internet. So if you can't come to Raleigh but want to attend this workshop, you can attend it uh, fr- from your from your computer. And this is also listed on your on the new website? It's a list on the website along with uh, how to contact uh, IAHB, their 800-258-8411, right. or plus a link for the registration and the detailed brochure. November 1 and 2, I'll repeat the same workshop in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Atlanta Marriott Century Center. And then November 3 and 4, I'm going to do it in Denver, Colorado, at the Double Tree by Hilton, the Denver Westminster uh, Hotel. That's a lot of travel. Uh, yeah, but fortunately, it's all in one week, so I don't have to keep going back and forth across yeah, the United yes, States. Right. So that, that's kind of a new new way I do some of the East Coast swings because the the travel is is tiring. Then after that, I'll just mention you can also find on my workshop page on my website uh, other cool things coming up. In uh, on November sixteenth and seventeenth, there's going to be this ABCT conference, the annual meeting at the Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies, and uh-huh. that's going to meet in San Diego, November sixteenth and seventeenth. 
And I'm going to give two workshops there. I'm going to co-present them with Jill, Dr. Jill Levitt, who you know very well. By the way, we're talking about year 2017. 2017. Oh, yes, right. So if you're listening to this, uh, you know, 40 years from now, <laughs> I'll be dead and gone probably. But, but uh, you can probably still get the uh, the live workshop, the exactly, stream, yeah, the, yeah. the videotape one. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, but at any rate, uh, yes, this is 2017. And Jill and I are going to do two workshops on team therapy, a six-day, a six-hour workshop on uh, the, uh, I think, uh, the, the 16th, November 16th, Thursday, uh, 8.30 uh, in the morning to 5 p.m. And that will be uh, on building a better CBT. Talk about why I developed uh, team therapy uh, because of the shortcomings in, in CBT and kind of how team therapy works. And I remind our listeners that uh, Jill was your co-therapist when we did the live session with Mark. Oh, yes. Those are episodes 29 through 35. Yes, and Jill is, I mean, I just think she's walks on water, really. She's the bee's knees. Yeah, she's fantastic, a beautiful therapist and a fantastic uh, teacher, and it's always a joy to present with Jill, and it's a privilege, too, to present with her at this prestigious meeting. And then the next day, we're, we're in the afternoon, we're going to do a three-hour workshop together on Friday, November 17th, uh, also in San Diego. And on my website, you can get all the registration and location uh, in, information. But we're going to be talking about when helping doesn't help, overcoming therapeutic resistance with mm-hmm. Team CBT, and it'll be kind of an introduction to the, the uh, resistance-busting techniques that I've I've developed. And then on November 27th, I'm going to be up in, in Canada, in Calgary, doing three presentations at Jack Herosi's uh, big uh, trauma conference. There'll be multiple speakers, but I'm going to be doing a, uh, a keynote address, a workshop, and then a presentation for the general public all in the same day. Uh, and then uh, in December... I'm going to be at the Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference in Anaheim. That's every four years, and it's it's the coolest, biggest conference going. They have they'll have they've already have nearly five thousand paid registrations. Oh yeah, that's an amazing conference. Yeah, yeah, and I'll be given uh, five presentations there. All right, and so you can find them. There's a, a workshop on again on Team CBT and and various other presentations you can find there on my workshop page. Yeah, I mean people don't have to remember. Any of this, they can just go to your website. But it's yeah. good that you listed uh, everything that's coming up, and uh, that's quite a bit. Yeah. Then I just wanted to make a loose end from last week. Uh, I'm usually pretty happy with these. Uh, in fact, very happy. I just love working with you and, and what we're creating. But you can't hit a home run every every time you get up to bat. Well, I gave you a hard time last time. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. And and I I made some errors that occurred to me later, and I'll just briefly mention what yeah. they are. They were also pointed out to me by uh, one of my uh, most beloved and loyal fans, Rob from Boston, who mm. sends wonderful notes after every podcast. But he he pointed out, you know, hinted a couple of errors I was making. What happened there is uh, the example I was giving. Oh, by the way, I was going to show you my office. Oh. Well, you can see later. It's, you know, after the podcast, I was so inspired, I spiffed it up a little All further, right. and it looks we'll, shining we'll, and gleaming. We'll take a picture, and we'll post it. Yeah, there's it. a good one. There's a good one, yeah. And uh, But at any rate... Uh, we got into a role play, which I wasn't anticipating. The problem I was presenting, the procrastination was my own. These, you know, 10 foot high piles of unfiled papers and, and how I tackled that. 
But when we got into the role play, whenever you work on a method without empathy and agenda setting, you run risking and running into trouble because you haven't dealt with, with resistance, which I hadn't been planning to do so much. And I squeezed it in at the end. I, I should have done the resistance part at the beginning where I said, what are some of the advantages of procrastination? Yeah. But according to our latest thinking, I also should have asked, what, what are some really cool things about procrastinating? What, is, what does it show about you that's positive and awesome? Plus, what are some of the advantages of procrastinating? And then after having listed all of those, then say, well, why should we work on that? Maybe that, that's not something that we should be working on. Yeah. And then let the, that's called the acid test. Why in the world would you want to stop doing that? Yeah, given, given all that, yeah. Given all that. And then let the patient kind of talk you out of it yeah. and, and persuade you that he or she really does want help with the procrastination. And then you can go into that awesome four minute, uh, five minute, uh, thing that we talked about on the on the podcast last week yeah and i wanted to say that you know and often in these episodes what we do is uh we demonstrate a particular technique and and your intent there was to demonstrate how to work with procrastination yeah you know using the methods the methods uh, but uh, of course the methods are always the last thing to yeah to in a come. real session yeah i know and so that's always to to be kept in in uh, in mind. Yeah. So today we're uh, attacking the interpersonal model. Um, we we did do a, a few episodes yeah. uh, on some of uh, here the and methods. There. Yeah. You know, here and there, we did uh, the. Uh, um, let me remem- remember this. We did the uh, the five secrets way back when in episodes fourteen and fifteen. And we did a couple of Ask Davids on, on a variety of interpersonal issues. But let's get really into the, the model itself yeah. in a more systematic way. And so today, I think you're going to talk more about how did you create this interpersonal model. Right. And also what you know about the research on, uh, on relationships and uh, couples therapy, right? Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, the, the way I got into working on the, uh, the trying to develop an interpersonal model uh, you know, when I wrote Feeling Good, it, the, the publishers predicted it would be a failure and, you know, everyone thought it was a very noble effort that had no no commercial potential at all. Mm-hmm. But it started to catch on by word of mouth because it was it was helpful to people. So it kept selling out and the publishers kept re- reprinting it. And after about a, a year or so, uh, it, it, the publishers began to see, hey, maybe there's some, some real potential here. It didn't make the bestseller list until 1988. It, it was really first published in 1980. Yeah. But it started picking up steam. And so the publishers were, were kind of saying, well, maybe maybe you should think about a, a second book because we're doing pretty well already on your first yeah, book. We, we want to make more money out of you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, and we were all you know excited about cognitive therapy, which was beginning to, to, to catch on. When I wrote Feeling Good, I think there were about five cognitive therapists in the world. And now it, it's the most widely for, practiced form of psychotherapy in, in the world. And it was just beginning to catch on. And we were all very excited. And, and people were saying, well, how about the, you know, cognitive therapies for, for depression and, and to a lesser extent for anxiety? But... Why not use it for people with troubled relationships? And and we all got real excited about this. And 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 I began thinking about how people think 
Well, you know, cognitive therapy is about changing your thinking. That's That's right. Causes depression. I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm a hopeless case. That's how how depressed uh, patients uh, think. And that anxious patients say, oh, something terrible is going to happen when I get in front of that audience. I'll screw up. My mind will go blank. I'll make a fool of myself. Everyone will laugh at me. Uh, All this future-directed negative thoughts. And then... I was thinking, well, relationship problems, 90% of the time, come from angry thoughts, blaming thoughts directed at at the other person. And so, uh, for example, a a woman with a troubled marriage might be talking to the therapist about her husband or talking to a friend about her, her husband. and She's like, you know, he's a loser. All he cares about is himself. He never listens. It's all his his fault. Uh, he's kind of a hopeless case, you know, he'll never change. And when you think about those thoughts, they have all the same cognitive distortions as you see in depression, like he's a loser, is all or nothing thinking. He'll never, labeling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, label exactly. Uh, and it's also blame. Other blame. Other yeah. blame. And, and then it's a should statement, too. That's like right. he, he should be different. He shouldn't yeah. be the way he is. And and uh, and you see emotional reasoning. I I, I feel uh, frustrated and angry. So uh, that proves that 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 he's behaving badly, and you know that he's. Uh, and you see mind reading, like he's he, he's self centered. All he cares about is, is himself. And then yeah. you see mental filter and discounting the positive. All he, he never listens. Yeah, it's also an overgeneralization. Yeah, so we find all, all those distortions all ten, we're familiar with. Yeah. All tend to search. So I thought, oh, well, this is fantastic. This is going to fit right in, and I can write a book about you know all these distortions and how to change them. And so I supposedly actually, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I actually wrote a book called "Couples in Conflict, Couples in Love," uh-huh. and it was all about you know all these cognitions that lead to marital problems mm-hmm. and relationship problems, and I sent it to my editor at, at at the time it was William Morrow and Company and Maria Guarnichelli, what wonderful woman who had been the editor for for feeling good and uh, I'm very indebted to her from her genius and support and she called me back the next day with her kind of New York talk oh darling I got your manuscript it's wonderful it's for sure going to be a number one bestseller you know this is going to be yeah. better than French fries t- type of thing which was kind of what I was hoping to hear and uh and she was just totally over the top and and uh, she she said uh, uh we're, we're going to give you a $150,000 advance for this book and I'm going to send you a contract and a check today for half of that 75,000 and then once it's revised and then right. we'll give you the other 75,000 and I couldn't believe it I, I I mean that was more money than you know I I'd ever dreamed of having and in those days it was even more than it would be oh yeah yeah Yeah. and um and so i started you know kind of trying to think about revising the book and in the meanwhile i started trying the techniques out with troubled couples that i was treating or individuals with troubled relationships and and you know the darn thing is that the techniques didn't seem to work (laughs) <laughs> you may have forgotten that there was a, a multi-body system that you were treating. Right, exactly. And they, it was true, they had all of these uh, distorted negative thoughts about each other. They were blaming each other. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, you know, my wife's, it's her fault. No, it's it's your fault and all this back and forth stuff. But they, they didn't seem that interested in, in changing these cognitions. 
these distorted thoughts, which was radically different from depression because when you're thinking, you know, I'm a loser, it causes pain. And you really are motivated, at least to, to some pretty substantial degree, to, to disprove that thought so you can feel happy. Yeah. And not but when to... you're a loser, I don't feel any pain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you feel kind of um, uh, morally superior and yeah. kind of in, empowered. And so I called Maria and I said, why don't we just hold off for six months before we, you know, <laughs> to tighten it up for publication? And because uh, I, I want to get some more vignettes. Right, you know? exactly. exactly. <laughs> so the next six months, I had about 50 more referrals of either individuals with troubled relationships who I was treating individually or, or couples. Yeah. And after six months, I was zero for 50. <laughs> Not a single individual or couple had been helped by this approach. And it just broke my heart. And I called Maria back and I said, Maria, I don't care if it's going to be a, a best number one bestseller. It doesn't well, work. It's going to sell. It, it's a fraud. It doesn't work. The the model. It, it's it's not the truth. Now, at the time, were you already you know big into doing agenda setting? No, no. This was oh. in the early days, but okay, before okay. all this stuff had had dawned on me, really. Yeah. Uh, although I I had some hints about that as early as the mid nineteen seventies when I pr pr first created the cost benefit analysis was one of the first techniques I created. Yeah. But it, we were not heavily, not heavily into it and, and not seeing it in all of the different disorders, resistance and motivation. And so I called her back. I said, it breaks my, my heart, Maria, but I'm, I'm going to send the money back to you because I can't with integrity pu publish this book. And, um, and I've got to just cancel, cancel the, the, the contract. And, uh, and, and meanwhile, I'm going to try to figure out why the cognitive approach doesn't work for couples problems or relationship problems. And if I can find out why, come up with a better approach, I'll write another book book for you, but uh, I don't know how long that's going to take. I don't know if I'll be able to solve the problem and, and, and figure it out. So that's why that book never never got written, and my relationship book didn't come out for about 25 years later. It took me to figure it out, feeling good together, yeah, but uh, which is out now and available. Any listeners who like the interpersonal series we're, we're doing might want to pick up that book to really, really learn about it in depth. But it, it, it was quite a shocking experience. Now, others uh, weren't deterred. Beck wrote on the cognitive uh, uh, approach to relationship problems. I think the title of his book was Love is Never Enough or something like that. Or Love is, yeah, Love is Never Enough. Like you've got to work on your cognitions and stuff. And, uh, and Christine Podesky, I think too, also, if my memory was correct, wrote a book on using cognitive therapy for, for relationship problems. But, but I was not, I was not willing, not willing to, to, to do that. And, and I just, I began to wonder, you know, clinically, uh, what what is the true cause? You, you see, what what I what I knew right away was that there there are cognitive distortions both in relationship problems, outer outwardly directed distortions about the other person, yeah, and then self directed distortions in depression and anxiety. But the difference was that the cognitive distortions in depression and anxiety are causal. They cause the depression and the anxiety. And the very instant the person 
corrects those distortions and stops believing them. Right. Within a maybe a second or two, the depression will, will vanish, just right. like in a flash. But in a relationship problems, they're not causal. Right. It's not the cause of the relationship problems. They're more like epiphenomenon or, or something like that. You might have a so, word to well, explain we're, it. We're, well, except that I would say people who are in a relationship uh, with uh, with problems, they do feel pain. So where does the pain come from, if not from their distortions? Well, that is a wonderful question, and there is a brilliant and mind-blowing answer to it, which uh, Fabrice will now <laughs> provide. <laughs> what, what would be, let's just brainstorm, I don't have well, a clever, I, immediate answer So actually. You. Even there is though, a lot of pain. The loneliness, the anger, can be a pain in the ass after a while. Well, even though you know the uh, lack of it, intimacy. Yes, but I think that even uh, even though we said earlier that if I blame you, I know I feel superior and good about it. Um, it's it's confront because there's a should in there, yeah. and, and I'm not happy with reality the way it is. Yeah, exactly. And so... Yeah, that's right. I'm still unhappy even though I feel superior. Yes, that's right. That's right. But it's an unhappiness that we get addicted to. Well, that yeah. We don't, want to, we don't want to let go of. So anyway, well, that... Lo- most that people the, would rather be right than happy. Yes, I remember in seventh grade. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this on a previous bo- podcast, but I had very few friends growing up. In fact, I'm still kind of a pain in the ass, just that I'm so old, people put up with me a little more now. But I remember in seventh grade telling myself, I don't care if I don't have any friends as long as I know that I'm right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that, that's some of the, the, the background. On, so it's, so on the it's not causal. And yeah. So, so how do we solve that problem? Well, let's let's first of all look at at some of the theories uh, about uh, that have been proposed about why people have relationship oh, yeah. problems. And I'll just give a for this podcast just kind of a simplistic uh, way of uh, you know organizing the, the these theories. This won't be uh, some kind of academic high power thing, but more something for. For the general public, or for those of us who are therapists who have simple minds and like yeah, things that, simple, that covers most of us. <laughs> yeah, but there's several theories about why people can't can't get along. Why why for thousands of years have human beings been bashing each other's brains out, and and it doesn't seem to be letting up. You know, even internationally, uh, you know, the violence is I'm sure just as widespread today as it was uh, 10,000 years ago. And and so experts have tried to propose why do human beings fight when they could have peace? I mean, religious leaders have tried to figure it out too, like the Garden of Eden. It's kind of such a story where we can be in this beautiful garden where everything is provided and when we love each other and we have joy. And then we do something to banish ourselves to go out where there's thorns and it's, it's it's not so nice, and and it's a question: why why do we ruin our lives, our happiness, with with hatred and with arguing with with the people we we claim to love or or, or want or want to love? Three categories or theories are are, are the are the the barrier theory, the the skill deficit theory, and and the, and the motivational theory. And maybe we'll just kind of go through those in this podcast and then in the next podcast we, we can come on like, describe how the interpersonal model okay. works but the the barrier theory 
Well, let me start with the skill deficit theory. That that's the the easiest one to. Right. To we, we don't know how to talk to each other. If only we were taught, then we would do it just fine. Uh, that that's that's exactly exactly what it is. And so, people into this theory propose different kinds of skill deficits. Maybe we didn't learn how to communicate or how to listen and. In grammar school or in, in grade school or, or, or growing up and, and, and so we make demands when, when we get into a conflict with, with someone or, or we don't, we don't have negotiation skills or. Which intuitively makes sense. And when, when you look at the way, you know, we oh, interact with one another, that, that seems to be the case. Oh, oh yes. We, when you look at any troubled couple, all these theories have tremendous plausibility. You look at any troubled couple and say, I'm right and you're wrong. No, I'm right and you're wrong. It's your fault. No, no, it's your fault. You know, it's yeah. just no one's listening and people are making demands and, 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 and so forth. So that, that's the, the skill deficit theory. Um, another theory is uh, the self-esteem deficit theory. Uh, that that the de- the deficit is not just skills, but we don't love ourselves, and so we can't lo- love others. Uh, to, to ha- type of thing um, that we're trying to get from other people, but we we don't know how to uh, to, to give to our, ourselves. Which also makes you know pretty good sense too. Oh, fact, all these things are very very yeah. plausible. Uh, that's part of the problem when you hear a theory that's plausible. You think it's true, yeah. and you believe it if you kind of want to believe it because it, it it's so right on from your point of view. Plus, you just spent you know two thousand dollars on a workshop teaching you how to fix that. Exactly, exactly, yes, exactly. And then there's the barrier uh, theories, and the bar- and and the barrier and skill deficit theory, but both say we want loving relationships. Human beings are basically good, but but we don't have the skills. To, to get the intimacy. So we start hitting the other person in the face because we get so frustrated because we don't know how to get the love we want. Or the barrier theory that there are these barriers that, that get in the way, like the cognitive approach is a barrier theory that we have all these distorted thoughts about the other person that get in the way. Right. And, and, and furthermore, the distorted thoughts will always act like self-fulfilling prophecies, so we don't know that the thoughts are distorted. Like if I say, oh, uh, you, you know, that Fabrice is a jerk. He doesn't really care about my podcast. He's kind of an ass. Uh, he's just, Isn't that what you told me a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he only cares about himself, and you, you, you get all fired up and angry at this person, and then you get real nasty when you're around the person, and then they act like a jerk. And you say, oh, I was right. You, you, so you don't yeah. know that you're creating. Now, that, that I've observed, I think this is pretty much true. It, there is a, a, a way of uh, you know, having self-fulfilling prophecies in the way we, we judge others. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we get tricked. So that's one barrier. We have these, these distorted thoughts. And then another barrier is it would be the, uh, also in the cognitive camp, would be the idea that there are these self-defeating beliefs that we have, irrational beliefs on a deeper level about relationships, like the cognitive therapists used to talk about, and perhaps still do talk about, for all I know, the idea, if someone loves me, they should know what I need and how I feel, and I shouldn't have to express myself. I shouldn't have to verbalize it. Oh, yeah. They should know. And so then, uh, you know, I, maybe this is a gross example, but I... And if I have to uh, tell them, then that means they don't love me. Yes, I'll, I shouldn't I'll be, have, da- I'll be done if I'm going to tell them what I want. 
I, sh- I shouldn't have to. <laughs> I can give a perfect example of this. It might sound a little sexist or something. Can I be oh, forgiven no, ahead no. of time if it's off color? Or? I I, th- I think now people have already you know pegged you as as, as a, a sex loser <laughs> of this or that. I have plenty of flaws, that's for sure. I treated a woman once. Just who, watch your language. Who, yes, I'll I'll watch my language. But I treated a woman once who uh, was kind of depressed and had an unhappy marriage, and then. After a while, you know, she started confiding what what the problem was in, in her marriage, and and she said that her husband felt like, see, he he couldn't, she she couldn't seem to reach orgasm dur- during intercourse, and and she was unhappy about this, and her husband was unhappy, and and he wasn't a real big guy, athletic guy, and so he thought he wasn't like macho enough mm-hmm. to be sufficiently exciting, so he started working out. And and he he got very obsessive about it. He was a high powered professional, but he he just you know he he started you know just building tremendous muscles, and then he got into uh, you know uh, these muscle building competitions, mm-hmm. and he won I think for state of Delaware. He was the champion in his age division. Well, talk about motivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just turned into this you know muscle, muscle, macho muscle man. And, and so I asked her, did, did that, that help? And, and she said, no, it, it, it just made things worse. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what is the problem? You know, what, why is it that you can't get excited? I was thinking maybe she had religious inhibitions or maybe some childhood trauma or, or some such thing. And she said, well, the thing is when we start having intercourse, my, my husband grabs my nipples and he starts pinching them real tightly, and, and the pain is just excruciating. And since he's been doing all the muscle building, he's gotten oh, God. stronger. <laughs> and she said, it's like having my nipples in, in a vice. And I said, oh, I think I might understand why you're having trouble having an orgasm. And and I said, and furthermore, I think there might be a solution to, to this. And she said, well, what is it, doctor? And I said, well, have you ever thought of telling him? <laughs> and then you could show him how you like to be t- touched. And, yeah, you know, right. I was thinking yeah. of the Masters and Johnson Sensei focus yeah. thing where she guides his hands. And she got real indignant when I suggested that. And she says, Doctor, I, I shouldn't have to, to say that. I, you'd think after my line there for 28 years, he'd get the idea. Yeah, yeah. You get understand what yeah. I said? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 so kind of, she expected him to do mind reading, and yeah, and and so you see a lot of truth in these 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 barrier theories. Other barriers that people talk about are are the um, the idea that uh, you know these self defeating beliefs that you know men are from Venus, women are from Mars. That's the idea that you know that uh, John. Uh, What's his name? He had that best-selling book, John Gray. Gray, Gray yeah. yeah, and also Deborah Tannen, the yeah. researcher, were talking about that when men are little, they play with trucks, and when women are little, they play with dolls, and, and so women grow up to want to deal with emotions and emotion words, just express feelings, and men are trying to solve problems, or thinking logically and mechanically, and so when a woman is upset, uh, you know, she's talking about her feelings. Have you seen that nail thing on the internet? Yes, yeah, yes, that's, I a, know, that's yeah. a great example of that, and, um, and, and then the man is trying to solve the problem, and then she gets frustrated because she wants him to listen. Yeah. He gets frustrated because he's trying to help, and she keeps rebuffing 
his efforts, and, and so that's the, uh, you can either call that a skill deficit theory or, or a barrier theory, either one, that men and women have a different ideas about communication. Um, or, or there's even the psychoanalytic, psychodynamic could be like we, another barrier is that we have these troubled interactions with our parents growing up, and then we project this onto our loved ones, and we keep reenacting some dysfunctional pattern that, that we had yeah. growing up. Yeah, I think that this is used in, uh, I think, in the Imago, Imago couples therapy. Oh, is that right? Yes, I think I've heard that. that yeah. That's right. And you see all of these. Um, and then there's the motivational model I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. But the, the, the neat thing about the, uh, the barrier models and the skill deficit models is they're models of great hope. Hmm. because they, they, they're all based on the idea humans are basically good, we want love, and either a barrier gets in the way or there's a skill deficit. Yeah, And they, they're very hopeful because we can remove the barriers, we can teach people uh, to, to change these distorted thoughts or develop more appropriate uh, beliefs, more, more realistic expectations. Uh, uh, we, we can... Uh, teach communication te te techniques or negotiation te techniques rather right. than making demands. And they're, they're just wonderfully hopeful, optimistic models. There's only two problems with them. Uh, the first problem is that all these theories have been shown to be absolutely false. And I have can, they? I mean, they? Yeah. Uh, and I can cite a couple of my own uh, research studies as, as well as, as the studies of other, other people. It, it'd be good to put some references in the show notes because uh, I'll do that. Yeah. people are going to say, well, they're all... I mean, a lot of people are still talking about those theories. So, uh, Oh, yeah. Well, like one, to... one thing I found is when you publish an article that proves that a theory is false... It has no effect uh -huh. because the people who believe it, they want to believe it because their careers are invested yeah. in some school school of therapy. I'll mention just a couple of the yeah. studies in a moment. But the other thing that's, that's, that's wrong with them is that all the schools of therapy that have been developed based on these theories have been shown to be ineffective. So aside from the fact that they're theoretically false and practically useful, useless, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful theories. Besides that, yeah. Uh, now, uh, just to give you an example of some of the research, I won't go into it too, too much, but um, I did a study with my student, uh, Diane Spangler, who's now at BYU. She was a postdoctoral PhD uh, student at Stanford, a postdoctoral fellow, an NIMH fellow, I think. Mm-hmm. And I worked with her for two, two years, and we had a database that we tested with pretty sophisticated techniques. Is it true that there are these different patterns between men and women and that they have causal effects on marital conflict or depression or anything else? And what we found in this study, which we published in one of the uh, international cognitive therapy journals, was, was that it isn't true that men are from uh, Mars and, and women are from Venus. We're, we're all from, from the Earth. Women are no better at dealing with uh, emotions uh, than, than, than men. Men and women both have tremendous uh, difficulties, which you've seen when we've done the intimacy drills. No, I'm, and, and I, I see this in, in my office oh, uh, yeah. regularly, too. Yeah. But no. there, there does seem to be different, uh, different needs or different... Uh, Inclinations, I'd say, between men and women. Yeah, well, there are differences. There are anatomic differences as, yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and well, no, I, I noticed that too. Yeah. More, 
but uh, they, they don't have any causal effects on, on in, in our study on, on anything. Right. And then uh, another one, This I, I did a really nice uh, research uh, study on this self-esteem and depression being important causes of, of relationship problems that, that you, you can't love someone else if you can't love yourself and looked at uh, changes in, in depression and self-esteem over the first 12 weeks of, of treatment in hundreds of patients we treated in Philadelphia, and also changes in relationship satisfaction. And while it was true that there was a negative correlation between depression and relationship satisfaction throughout the study, in other words, people who were more depressed reported lower levels of satisfaction in their intimate relationships, Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was not true that there were any significant causal linkages between the two of them. Problems in intimate relationships were not a meaningful cause of depression and low self-esteem. And problems with depression and low self-esteem are not important causes of uh, relationship uh, relationship conflicts. Yeah. I also saw that when I did research on my book, 10 Days to Self-Esteem, uh, I had a about 30 pilot studies around the United States to, to see if it's a 10-session group outpatient program, uh, which I intended to be done free, just with lay leaders like Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and I wanted to see before I published it if, if it would be effective. So I had maybe, maybe 30. We had a, uh, one in the CIA. We had a pilot study. We had one at my dad's church in Phoenix, Arizona, for the people in the congregation. We had one at one of the major East Coast universities. I can't remember which one. We had one the Aboriginal people in uh, northern Canada. And, and uh, in all of the these programs, uh, people showed quite dramatic improvements in, in 10 group sessions in, in, in self-esteem and, and depression. But we also me- measured relationship satisfaction, and there were no meaningful changes uh, in relationship satisfaction. And, and so, you know, what that means is from a causal point of view, again, is that problems in self-esteem do not cause relationship right. conflicts. At, yeah. the, at the beginning of the study, they were miserably depressed with horrible marriages. And at the end of the study, they were euphoric with horrible marriages. <laughs> the, the increase in self-esteem is not going to improve someone's marriage. The causal structure is entirely different, and and the treatment methods for the two are radically, radically different. The final model, and before is the motivational model. But before I go on to that, should we take a you know dialogue? Do you have any question or anything? Or no, I'm I'm eager to to hear about uh, you know what you have to say to those supposedly. um, you know, ineffectual theories. Well, well, yes. If 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 you, yeah. The 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 other research I want to mention is, is that if you look at the outcome literature on on uh, Don Balcom from the University of North Carolina is arguably the top uh, marriage couples uh, researcher in in the world in all of history. He's done more controlled outcome studies on various. Couples therapies than anyone else in the world. What's the name again? Uh, Dr. Don Balcom, B-A-U-C-O-M. He's a PhD clinical psychologist. And I haven't talked to him for some time, but he was for years and probably still is the head of the uh, PhD program at University of North Carolina and a really neat guy, sharp 
think are fabulous mm. therapists. Well, let's put some references to that yeah, in, in sure. the, the show notes, too. Oh, oh, yeah. And every year, for the past 30 years, he's reviewed the world literature on every form of couples therapy and marital therapy. And that's, that have been studied in controlled outcome uh, studies. Uh-huh. And uh, every year he's come to the same uh, conclusion, uh, which is there is no effective treatment for tru- troubled marriages at, at, at this time. Uh, all, all the studies come out pretty much the, the same. In the short term, they're, they're a little bit better than placebo, but not much. Yeah. So you get it's like maybe, dieting. Yeah, exactly the same thing. And then the long term, some of those who've been helped initially, they go on to, to divorce or, yeah. or whatever. They see maybe 50% improvement in a, say, a 15 or 20 weeks of intensive couples therapy. 50% of the couples show some improvement. Some improvement isn't necessarily going to a joyous, loving relationship. Right. And if you treat them with placebo, you'll probably get 35% of them will show the same level of, of improvement. So it's it's disappointing in, in a way. But the exciting thing, if you're not married to any of these treatments or these theories, is that when something doesn't work, the data is actually trying to tell us something. You know, science moves from failure. Like, the theory of relativity came about because of an important study, the Michelson-Morley study about the speed of light in different directions, it, 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 it failed. They, they couldn't confirm that light was going at different speeds in different directions. You think if we're flying through the sky like a railroad train, like the sound coming from a railroad train will, will, will change the speed of the sound, depending on if it's going, you know, with the train or or, or against the train. Well, the, the the frequency does change. There there is a redshift in uh, in uh, in light, but that that's a different story. Yeah, that's a different story. But the fact is, yeah. the the speed of light uh, appeared to be the same in all directions, right, exactly. no matter yeah. how fast you're going or relative to what. And that led to the uh, theory of relativity. Einstein was the only one who took it seriously and just said, what's the logical conclusion? He said, well, this is bizarre, but this is the logical conclusion. And then sometimes if you listen to studies that don't come out the way you thought they were going to come out, there's an important breakthrough. And and what I believe has been the missing dimension in couples uh, therapy, the same as in in, in the treatment of depression, the same as the treatment of anxiety, the whole thing that led to team therapy is I believe that they're not taking motivation in, into account. Yeah. And that's the third theory, the, the motivational theory of, of troubled relationships. And the theory here is is that we have troubled relationships because we want them because we've, we're committed to them, because we're, 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 we're very, very much rewarded by having an enemy, by, by being in, in conflict with, with somebody. And, and just to give a brief example of this, and then we probably should bring this, this one to a close because it's been a bit long. In fact, I don't even know what time we started. Uh, or no, 42 minutes into the podcast. Okay, so I'll bring this to quick closure so it yeah. doesn't carry on too long. And we have just a whole bunch of more cool things to go over in the next few podcasts. But um, the, let, let's just take a, a fellow who... Uh, a typical, very troubled couple, and the the fellow smashes the woman in the mouth about once a week. That they've been married for about eight years, and then he started 
hitting her so, every yeah, week. Uh, tremendous not, domestic violence, yeah. Yeah, but not a, not repeatedly, just smashes her one good blow in, in, in the face. And and so we want to figure out what, why is he doing that, that to her? What's going on be, between these two? And, uh, and, and so we have a hidden camera, and we can observe exactly what goes on leading up to him bashing her in, in the mouth. And so we hear that... Uh, he, he he walks into the kitchen on a Saturday and, and he says, "Hey, my my buddy Bill, he just bought a house in the such and such area and and he got a really good deal there. The the prices are low." And then since the two of them were thinking, since this fellow and his wife were thinking of buying a house, he says, Let, "Let's go there and look." Now his wife, he he he, he uh, after high school went into construction work. He's not the smartest guy, but he's, he's a physically a powerful guy. She went on to junior college and got all A's, but didn't have the self-esteem to, to go on to you know, regular university. But she's very bright. She's a frail woman, and, and she's pretty angry because he's been bashing her in the mouth every week. And so she unknowingly, and I don't mean to put any blame on her whatsoever or on, on, on him. I, I don't think blame is, is the healthiest way to go. But but she kind of uses her mind as a weapon, and, and, and so she, she puts him down. And she says, well, you know, in that area, uh, that there's just prostitutes and, and drug dealers. There's a lot of murder there. Uh, buying in that area is like uh, flushing your money down the toilet. It's, uh, the, the property values are just going down, down, down. Now, that hurts his feelings, uh, and so he, he tries to reassert the, the argument. He says, oh, no, my buddy Bill, he said that... Uh, uh, they're cleaning up. The police are cleaning up that area, and they're getting the drug dealers and the prostitutes out, and it's going to be rebuilt, and it's going to actually be a tremendous in, in investment. And then she puts them down again, and and she says, "Yeah, the politicians have been claiming to clean that area up for 15 years, but they they never have, and they never are. And it's just uh, only a fool would 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 want to buy in in, in that area. Right. This time, you can see him getting more and more angry. He smashes her in the mouth." which is his way of getting back at her and, and shutting her up. And then there's a kind of a pseudo-peace for another week. Uh, and, and then the, the th- same thing happens. And so if you're looking at this barrier or deficit theories, you say, well, he doesn't know how to communicate. He, he wants to have a loving relationship with her. They want to have a loving relationship with each other, but they kind of argue and, and so we just teach them some communication techniques and they'll have a loving relationship. But is that true, or is that a false theory? Well, we have another hidden camera, and we follow him on on the way home on the way home from work. And uh, he stops off uh, at a bar uh, to meet his buddies for for a couple pitchers of beer. And while they're drinking, uh, you know, he he's kind of the ringleader, and they're all happy and, and jolly, and we can zoom in and hear what they're talking about. And they're talking about what bitches women are and how they kind of have to put them in their place once a week and maybe smash them in the face and they're laughing and yucking it up and having a really good time of it. And, and you begin to think maybe uh, he doesn't have a troubled problem marriage. Maybe he's got exactly the marriage he wants. Maybe from his point of view, nothing could be better than to have a kind of frail, irritating wife who, who needs to be beaten once a week. 
And this leads us to a much darker view of relationship conflict, that it, 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 it may be coming from, from the dark side of, of, of human nature. Maybe it's not true that we only want loving relationships. And so I began to, to ask myself, what, what are the, the lower forces that, that compete with our desire to love? Maybe there's competition going on between the loving part of human nature and the hateful, destructive part of human nature, kind right. of like what Freud was, was leaving there for a period of, right. of, of time. And uh, I listed about seven uh, urges that human beings have that, that get in the way of intimacy. And we can talk about them a little bit more in the next broadcast sure, yeah. and talk about the new uh, interpersonal uh, therapy and theory and, and treatment uh, the, for, for relationship problems. But but one is, is you know, uh, truth. Uh, the idea that I'm right and you're wrong. Is yeah, I want to be right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I've often said truth is the cause of all human suffering in the world today. It's an exaggeration, but it's not that, that much of, of one. You see that going on between Trump and, and the leader of North Korea. Each one is saying, I'm right and you're wrong. You're a loser and I'm, I'm superior. Uh, they, they, they argue that they're both right and the other is wrong. You see this in troubled couples as well. I'm right and you're wrong and you better admit it. And then the other says the same thing. No, I'm right and, and you're wrong. So truth gets in the way of intimacy. Blame is, is another huge motivator. It's, we talked earlier, it's very rewarding to, to blame someone when we're having a conflict with them. It makes us feel m morally superior. Uh, power is another motivator. The, 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 this fellow may enjoy having power over his wife and, and, and beating her. It may give him a kind of uh, ecstasy. Uh, revenge is, is another powerful motive. When we've been hurt by someone, we, we, uh, we get angry and frustrated and, and we want to punish that person. We want to get, get, get back at that person. Um, also, there can be hidden hidden agendas. I've seen couples where the, the woman, for example, was very determined to stay in the marriage as long as she didn't have to interact with her husband because he had a lot of money and she liked spending his, his money. Her agenda was not to get close and to have a loving relationship, but to... to to, to have all this money to spend. It seems that all those actually uh, resolve back to power. If I want to be right, it gives me power. If I'm blaming, it gives me power, and so on. That's a cool theory that I've never thought of before, but, but I really like it. Um, and there's a f several others of these motives uh, that, that, that compete with, with the motive of, of love. And so once I saw that, 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 that's the idea that I thought that this is really true. And then I did a lot of research on, on, on troubled couples. I studied about a thousand couples around the United States and where I had access to one or both of them and gave them, uh, research on, on both and, and where I could test uh, in fact I developed with a, with a young fellow at the University of Pennsylvania an automated uh, way that we could have the computer actually create and test as many as a thousand theories a second about how different attitudes might uh -huh. come together to, to cause happy or troubled marriages yeah. and the computer said that every theory was wrong except for one. There was only one that seemed to have a causal effect on, on relationship problems. What so, was that, David? <laughs> what was that, David? Exactly. And it was, it, was, it was blame. 
blame was the only thing that, that, that seemed to have, have causal, causal effect, not only being highly associated with troubled marriage here right now today, but also predicting further deterioration of, of a relationship problem in, in, in the future. And at first I was disappointed to discover that because I was hoping for some fancy thing that the computer was going to, with formulas and amazing things that I would be able to write about. I thought, is that all there is to it? But then after a while I got to thinking, that's really true, and developed a new approach based on, on that result, a motivational model and we can talk more about it yeah. next, next, well, time. next time we will you know that reminds me of uh, uh, you know John Gottman's uh, criticism which uh, he calls uh, you know, one of the four horsemen that predicts um, marriage failure so, yeah so that could be related to that yeah absolutely so so in other words if I were to to summarize this all, all the theories that you've listed that have to do with essentially teaching people how to to be better with each other with the assumption that that's what they want. They want a good relationship. They want a loving one. They want to to be in harmony with their partner. What, what you're saying essentially is that, actually, no, that is not true. People do not want this. Yeah. So that, Well, it's partially true. Okay. We're ambivalent. We have drive for love and drive for hatred. Uh-huh, okay. Uh, so so there, there is that... that uh, um, that conflict between those two tendencies. Yes, and these these negative motives can become very powerful, yeah. and, and all you're looking for is vengeance, victory. That's another one, competition and winning. I want to win yeah. this conflict. I want to beat... More power. Yeah, more power. Beat, yeah. beat my enemy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll think, we'll call this the... Uh, the uh, Fabrice theory, uh, the love versus power theory, and, and yeah. we'll see how that lines up with the Freud's dualistic view of, of human nature. All right. Well, um, stay tuned for um, the next installment. Then, thank Thanks, you, David. everybody. This has been another episode of the Feeling Good podcast. For more information, visit Dr. Burns's website at feelinggood.com where you will find the show notes for this podcast under the blog page and where you can leave your comments and questions. The website has an abundance of resources for therapists as well as non-therapists, including books, workshops, a list of online training groups around the world, and much more. Theme music is Gypsy Jazz in Paris, 1935, composed and performed by Brett Van Donzel. I am your host, Fabrice Nye, and I invite you to join us next time for another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast. Mm-hmm.